Hi, I'm a Christian. And I am a Christ follower. Um, what you got there, Christian? Oh, this? Yeah. Hey, this is my Jesus Barometer 3000. Nice. So, what, <laughs> what does that Jesus Barometer 3000 do? Well, it, it, it keeps track of uh, my giving, and it also keeps track of my attendance, and, um, and it even keeps track of my usher rotation. As a matter of fact, I give 98.467% of my time to the Lord. I didn't understand one thing that you just said, to be honest with you. Well, what's your percentage? I don't have a percentage. I, I don't keep up with that. Well, how do you calculate that? Well, I, I don't. I mean, I don't have a Jesus barometer, first of all, but... Well, um, well, I'll tell you what. Last month, I raised my hands in worship 2,647 times. How many times do you raise your hands? <laughs> you know what? I have no clue. I don't keep up with that either. Never recorded that information, Christian. You're not much of a Christian, are you? I mean, this just doesn't add up. Well, it may not seem to, but I don't consider myself to be a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Well, good evening. Man, that video was aw If you know Gary Pribinich, uh, you'll just have to say hi to him on the way out, but... Um, Good evening. My name is Ryan Coggins. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Life Church, and I, I get the privilege of, of speaking tonight. And Pastor Aaron wanted me to tell you hello. He is actually in Kenya, Africa right now um, with a group of guys from Life Church. They're doing a, a missions trip with the a kind of the head guy of Mission of Mercy. Um, that if you remember when we did child sponsorships a few months back, that organization. Um, and so just some incredible things going on there. And I tell you what, it's, 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 it's a privilege to be a part of a church um, like Life Church, where we don't just talk about going and doing and, and giving, but, uh, you know, Pastor Aaron is leading the way in that. And so um, it's just, it's, it's a cool thing to be a part of a church um, like that. We are in a series called uh, Plain James, and we are looking through the book of James, and we, we've, we've had several weeks of it now. And um, tonight we're going to be looking at James chapter 3 verse 13 and going until 412. I'll get there in a few minutes, but if you want to begin uh, turning there. Uh, Plain James is a series, uh, or James was a book that was written to Christ followers. It was written to Christians. And so uh, when, when we talk about it, know that that's the audience that, that, that James is writing to. How many of you guys have ever had somebody tell you or ask you the question or say to you, prove it? You ever had anyone say, prove it? to you? Those are fighting words, you know what I'm talking about? That's uh, the competitive nature in me when I hear that. I'm like, okay, bring it on. I can do that. Um, I remember when I was in fourth grade, it was, it was during gym class. Um, me and one of my friends named Aaron had just gotten to gym class. We were the first ones there. Nobody had, you know, gotten ready yet. And so we're in the gym all by ourselves and uh, we go to the, in the middle of the gym, there's a green marker laying on the gym floor. I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. Pick it up, you know, fourth graders, kind of whatever. I pick it up, and Aaron says to me, he says, you know what, I bet you you can't throw that across the gym and hit the wall on the other side of the gym. And I said, Psh, punk, I can do that. There's, that's not a big deal. I, 
bring it on. So I pick it up, and he said, well, then prove it. And those words, I don't know, I don't know if it's a guy thing, I don't know, just the competitive nature, whatever it is, but I have to prove it. Now I'm just egged on. So I take this marker, I wind up, and I just give it my best throw across the gym, hits the back wall, and I look at him like, what, what now, you know, that, that type of thing. And um, so now it's his turn, so we're, you know, he, he's got to do the same thing. And so we walk down towards the other end of the gym to get the marker, and I'm noticing there are little green dots everywhere, like literally thousands of them all over the gym floor, little tiny ones. And I'm like, huh, that's weird, you know, how'd they get there? And I look on the back wall where the, where the marker hit, and there's a big green blotch on the wall. And at that moment is when the gym teacher walks in, sees this, and I'm like, ah, and anyway, long story short, ended up getting in a little bit of trouble for that one. I think this is the first time I've ever told that story, ever. So, uh, Mom, if you're watching online, I'm sorry I never told you that, but... Um, Got in a little bit of trouble, had to clean the floor. I'm thankful to this day that it was a washable marker, and so it, was, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But there's something about it when somebody says, prove it, that something inside of us triggers, at least in me, it triggers, and I'm like, okay, bring it on. James, in this, in this uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 13, he gives us a big, giant, prove it to Christians. He's saying, okay, you think you're really a Christ follower. You think you're not just a Christian, but you're really a Christ follower, then prove it. And he kind of gives us a little bit of, um, you know, a challenge here in this chapter. So we're going to read through uh, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. We're going to go to chapter 4, verse 12. I know that this is kind of a lengthy passage of scripture, so bear with me for a minute. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screens. We're going to read the whole thing through and then I'll come back to it, and we'll kind of break it down a little bit. This is what it says, James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from, the heaven, from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever you have uh, envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Go into, go into chapter 4 now. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, uh, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
going to verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, there is a lot going on in that passage of Scripture. In fact, when I first read that, my head nearly exploded because I was like, I'm going to have to preach on this whole passage of Scripture. Where do I even begin? Because there are so many different topics going on here. There's so many different themes going on here. Uh, But when I really began to pray and process, um, man, it just became clearer and clearer and clearer to me what James was trying to communicate um, through the Scripture. It's, uh, it's written to Christ's followers, and so can I tell you one thing? Um, this is an extremely challenging passage of Scripture. One of the most challenging passages of Scripture that you're going to find in all of the Bible. It's one where James kind of calls people out a little bit. James is kind of saying, you think you're really a Christ follower? Well, then you, this should be evident in your life. You think you're really a Christ follower? Then you should be able to prove it by doing these things. James is calling people out, and can I tell you that as I was preparing for this sermon, this has been one of the most difficult sermons I've ever had to prepare because God, there were several times throughout preparing it that I just dropped to my knees and said, God, forgive me. God, wash me clean. God, I want to be right. I want to do what your word says, but this is a challenging uh, passage of scripture. So I tell you that because I know that some of the things that we're going to talk about today are very direct you might even feel a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit awkward, but I would ask you to open your heart, to just say, God, what do you want to do in my heart today? What do you have for me? James is saying to Christians, to Christ followers, he's saying, you think you're a Christ follower? Prove it. And there's three specific kind of themes that he talks about in this passage of scripture where he says, prove it in these areas. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Prove it by your character. Prove it by your character. He's essentially saying, do you have the character of God or the character of man? All throughout this passage of scripture, I'm not going to give you one example because there's, there's several throughout the entire passage where he gives us, he talks about the character of man, the flawed character of humanity. Man's character, according to James, is full of bitter envy, selfish ambition, lying, evil desires, fighting, wrong motives, slander, materialism, and judgment. And those are just the ones that he names right here. (laughs) Kind of makes you feel real good about yourself. That's you. That's everyone in this room, Christian or not Christian. Doesn't matter. That is the flawed human nature and the sinful nature that that we're born with, that we have. Then Then he contrasts it with the character of God. And he says this about God's character. God's character is peaceful, considerate, submissive, merciful, full of good deeds, and sincere. And there's, there's a huge gap between the two. Man's character is way over here and is just rotten and filthy. And God's character is over here and is completely loving and gentle and merciful. And all, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, suffering, all those things, long-suffering. That is the character of God and the, the character of man is so much different than that. God created man in the image and likeness of him. In Genesis 1, that, God, that man was created good originally. But the fall of man happened in Genesis chapter 3. You can read it. But in Genesis chapter 3, man sinned against God and entered sinful nature into the world and created a gap 
between man and God that we have been dealing with until, uh, to this day. We've been dealing with, and there's, there's only one solution for it, and James talks a little bit about it, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But man's nature by itself, if you just remove God completely, man's nature, if you boil it down all the way, man's nature is not good. Human nature is not good. It's very difficult for us to, to really picture that because we, you know, we live in a country that was founded on Christian principles. Our culture, even a lot of the laws that have been set up are very Christian-based in, in, in values and more morality and that sort of thing. But if you really take all of that out and strip it away, man's nature says things like, like racism is okay. Because you're different than me, I'm better than you. That's, that's what human nature and sinful nature says. Sinful nature says that cheating is okay, that that's totally, that's totally a normal instinct to have. I, I sometimes wonder how many people would cheat on their taxes if there was no fear of consequence at all. If there was no punishment whatsoever, there's no chance you'll get caught. I mean, a lot of times human nature, cheating is something that's part of human nature, a part of sinful nature. Adultery is something that human nature says is okay that that's totally fine. I can't imagine if we lived in a world, and we're probably not far from this, where if everyone gave in to every sexual desire they ever had, what kind of world, you know, just human nature, the instinct. If we just based our life off of instinct and the things that come natural to us, we are in deep, deep trouble. I saw this, um, this kind of difference between the character of man and the character of God in my own life. Recently, I was at a restaurant, and it was just, you know, getting some fast food, actually, and I I, I paid for my meal, and I get back, and I get to the table, and I'm putting my money away, and I realize that the cashier gave me $10 more than she was supposed to give me back to the point where I actually like made money on this meal. My first instinct was, sweet! Awesome! Man, I, I, got, I got a free meal, and, only, and not only that, I got like three extra bucks from this thing. That was my first instinct. I'll be completely honest with you. That was the first thing that went through my head. The second thing that went through my head uh, was, ah, I can't do that. That's not right. I actually went back to the cashier and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. You gave me a little extra money. And she looked at me like I was completely crazy. Like, why on earth would you do that? It's because man's human nature by itself tells us that those things are right, that doing that is acceptable and it's right. And God's character is completely different than that. On our, on our own, we're very jacked up. We're very messed up. And that's not something to beat yourself up over. That's just reality. That's just a fact. But what God has done is he's given us the ability to, to come to him humbly, to accept him into our lives and to bridge that gap between our character and his character. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That when we give our life to Christ, he, 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 the sinful nature is always there. It's still there, but he reprograms us a little bit. He says, I'm going I'm to help you get the character of God in your life. I'm going to take what was old and, and just totally corrupt, and I'm going to redeem it for the glory and the honor of God. That's what God does in our lives, but it's a choice that we make. It's, it's not just some prayer that we pray, and, and then just, boom, we just get rid of all those instincts, all those things that come naturally to us. 
and we just become just, just this great human being. That doesn't happen overnight. That's something, that's a process. It's a process that we call sanctification, that little by little becoming more and more like God in our lives. James says, if you're really a Christ follower, prove it by your character. Not that you're perfect, you're not perfect, but prove it that you're always constantly becoming more and more like the character of God. That's what James challenges us with. The second thing that James says is prove it by your connection. Prove it by your connection. And what am I talking about here? I'm talking about your connection. Are you connected to God or are you connected to the world? And he says you can't be fully connected to both. You cannot do it. Uh, James chapter 4, uh, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's a pretty harsh uh, uh, verse in the Bible. An enemy of God. It's not that, you know, sometimes you get this thing, well, I can't be a friend of the world. That means I got to be a hermit somewhere and like be completely shut off from the world. That's not what this verse is saying. In fact, Jesus hung out with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. All over, those are probably the people that, besides the disciples, those are the people who he hung out with the most. He's not saying just completely dismiss everyone. He's like, "Are, are you a lover of the world? Do you love the things of the world more than the things of God? You can't love both of them. You have to choose one or the other. It'd be like, this is going to be a good example for us today, but it'd be like a Packer fan wearing a Jay Cutler jersey. That would not be good. They would get made fun of. That, that doesn't work because you can't be completely a Packer fan and just, I, I, that just, that just doesn't feel right. That doesn't work. You're kind of like, they're, suppo- they're enemies. They don't, they don't mix together. So how do I know if that's me? How do I know if I've become a lover of the world instead of a lover of God? I'm going to tell you, there's some, it's, there's some real subtle things. Um, there's, there's 10 things that, that I came across this past week that kind of indicate, just statements. I'm, not, I'm just going to rattle them off real quick, so don't worry. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. But there's 10 things that if, if these things ring true with you, if you, kind of, if you hear some of these things and you're like, ah, that might be me, James would tell you to challenge yourself because that might mean that you're more of a lover of the world than you are of God. I'm just going to tell you these things. First of all, people that, that love the world more than they love God crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. They rarely share their faith in Christ with anyone else. You, know, you ask yourself, when's the last time you sh- shared your faith in Christ with somebody? They do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. A lot of times that's through things like gossip. It makes me feel about, better about myself. They think more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. You know, it's store up for yourselves treasures on earth, not necessarily in heaven. They gauge their morality by comparing themselves to others. Man, I'm not, I'm not quite as bad as that person. Uh, man, that guy, he's, he's doing some pretty bad things. I know about some things that he's up to. I'm not quite that bad. They want to be saved from the penalty of sin without changing their lives. That, that grace thing is awesome. It sounds, I love that grace part of it, but actually repenting and turning from my sin, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of work. Number seven, they only turn to God when they are in a bind. If you find yourself only praying when you're kind of in deep weeds, so to speak, that might be an indication. 
Number eight, they give whenever it doesn't hinder their standard of living. You know, I got a bonus this month, and so eh, I guess I can tithe this month, but, um, you know, it doesn't really affect me much anyway. Uh, number nine, they're, they're, are not much different than the world. They talk the same, dress the same, act the same, think the same things are funny, are entertained by the same things, say the same words. There's not much of a difference between them and the world. And number 10, they want the benefits of what Christ did without conforming to who he is. You know, I'm going to challenge you that if any, any of those things I just said, if you think, man, that might be me, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything like that tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I do want you to really challenge yourself, examine yourself and say, are any of those things true of me? Am I more of a lover of the world or am I more a lover of God? James would say in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, that if you're more of a lover of God than you are a lover, or if you're more of a lover of, of the world than you are a lover of man, or excuse me, if you're more a lover of the world than you are of God, that there's a few things that'll be evident in your life. You'll fight, kill, covet, and have unanswered prayer. Your prayers will literally hit the ceiling if you're more of a lover of the world than you are of God. It's pretty serious stuff. And so how do we, how do, we do this? How do we, you know, this, this connection with God? How do we get that connection with God? How do we get um, that character of God? How do we do that? James gives us a pretty clear um, answer, a very simple answer. He says, prove it by your closeness. That's the last thing. Prove it by your closeness. What do I mean by that? Your closeness to God. How close are you to God? James 4, 8, one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's real simple. But what he is saying there is it's not just enough to believe in him. 94% of Americans believe in God. Did you know that? 94%. I would venture to say that many of those people, do they really live that out? I don't know. I think many pe- people believe in God, but they act as though he doesn't exist. They believe in him. Man, it's, even the demons believe him, is what the book of James says in another chapter in here. But they, they act as if he does not exist. That's the world that I believe that we live in, and it's a dangerous place to be. It's not just enough to believe in God. You have to know him, to really know him. It's kind of like if you get married your wedding day will be a significant day. It'll be a great day, but it is just a blip on the radar when it comes to having a vibrant and healthy marriage. I hardly even remember my wedding. You know, like it, it was a you know a great day, memorable, memorable day, all of that. But that is just a small part of having a healthy marriage. That is a very, very, very itty bitty tiny part. The day that you gave your life to Christ was a great day. If you're a Christ follower, that day, you can probably even remember the date. You could say, man, that's the day that I made a choice to accept Christ into my life. And that, that, that's an awesome time. But that is just a small part of your relationship with him. That is just a small part of really knowing God. There's three different types of people when it comes to knowing God. First, there's a group of people who believe in God, but they don't really know him. And that's, that's kind of where I feel like um, there are a lot of people, a lot of Americans specifically, that might fall into that category. They believe in God, but they don't really know him. This is a very dangerous place to be. One of the, I don't know, when I read this, it, it kind of gives me a little goosebump. Um, I kind of get a little bit, it, it just checks me a little bit. In, in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, 
verse 21 through 23, Jesus says this about these types of people. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus said it's not enough just to believe in God, just to say some prayer. So, you know, that, 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 that's when you begin that relationship, but that's not enough. That just simply believing in God is not enough. You have to know God. You have to know him. There's a second group of people, they, they believe in God and they know him, but they don't know him well. They believe in God, they know him, but they don't know him well. I know a lot of people in this room. I bet you I could name, I could probably tell about half of you what your name is, maybe even a little bit of information about you. I know a lot of the people in this room, but I know very well, man, maybe a couple, maybe not even that many. I, I mean, I don't know very many of you really, really well. The same thing would be true. A lot of you probably, you know who I am, you, you know a little bit about me maybe, but very few of you, if any, know me very well at all. You can know God, but to really know him in an intimate way. Uh, Galatians 4, 8 through 9, Paul says it like this. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul's saying it's possible to know God, and to still do bad things again, to, to still not really intimately know him. And there's a third group of people, and this is, this is, this is the group of people that James would ask, that say, man, I hope everyone can fit into this category. I know not everyone does, but everyone should strive to be in this category. It's those who believe in God and know him intimately. Those who believe in God and know him intimately. Uh, David, in the book of Psalm, he talks about um, kind of how, you know, how do you know if you're close to somebody or how do you know that you're close to God or not? He says it like this in Psalm 9:10. He says, those who know your name will trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. David says, what you call God, if you really know his name, will determine if you really trust in him, if you really have an intimate relationship with him or not. I'll give you an example. My, uh, there, there's some people that call me Mr. Coggins, okay? I, not a lot of people, but some people call me Mr. It makes me feel a little old, but Mr. Coggins, you know, a telemarketer or, you know, on a professional level or whatever, they call me Mr. Coggins. Most people don't know me very well. They know a little information about me, but they don't really know me. There's some people uh, that call me Pastor Ryan, it, it always takes a while for me to adjust to, you know, to that, being called Pastor Ryan, because uh, I remember always calling uh, my pastor, and they were always like 60 or 70 years old, and I just, anyway, um, but Pastor Ryan, those people, you know, if you call me Pastor Ryan, you know me a little bit, a little bit more than the people who call me Mr. Coggins, but, you know, you might not really, really know me. There's some people then who call me Ryan, kind of on that first name basis type of thing, some of my friends, that sort of thing, uh, acquaintances even. Uh, there's some people who call me Coggins. You guys remember in high school, it was cool to call people by their last name. Some of you still do that. That's fine. I don't, you know, but some people call me Coggins, you know, that people that I know from a long time ago that, you know, in high school or middle school or whatever, and I run into them, hey, Coggins, you know, that type of thing. They know me a little bit more. 
they've, they've had that relationship where they can get away with calling me. Don't, you know, don't call me Coggins if you don't know me well. But anyway, then there's another group of people, uh, and I hesitate even telling you because I fear that some of you are going to call me this, and don't, you, don't, you don't know me well enough, but uh, some people call me Rue, R-O-O. That's a nickname that I've had. I don't even know where it started, to be honest with you, but some of my immediate family and some extended family refer to, you know, they call me Rue. Um, I don't, I wish I knew where that, that came from, but I don't even know. But that's a nickname, like, like my sister and mom, they'll still call me that often, whatever. But they know me really well, you know? They, they know that those things about me. And then there's another group of people, two of them to be exact, that crawl up on my lap and pull my ears and get their slimy fingers all over me. And when I'm wearing a black shirt, they happen to drool and it gets a big white stain, you know, like that type of thing going on. And they call me daddy, and they know me pretty well, and I know them pretty well. And God is saying that I want to have the relationship with you. In fact, in the Bible, he says, uh, call him Abba Father, which literally is translated as daddy. What do you call God? You know, are you on the Mr. God relationship level with him or whatever? Or, or are you on the daddy level with him? What do you call him? And a good indication is how do you pray? When you pray, is, is your prayer very much like, oh, Father in heaven and, and, and oh, Lord of hosts, and it's all prim and property, proper and fancy, and it's not like the normal way that you would talk. It sounds real just weird and foreign, like what happened to this person when they're praying? Or is it a real, heartfelt prayer where you're just, you just talk to God like you would talk to a friend. You bear your soul, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. What kind of relationship do you have with God? Do you really know God? James challenges us with this, to be close to God, to be intimate with God. How close are you to God? How close are you to God? If I were to ask you that question, you're the only one that can answer that. I can't tell you. I could, I could, tell you some of the warning signs and some of the indicators and some of the things that may, you know, but I can't really explain to you how close you are to God. You're the only one that knows this. You're the only one that can answer this. So how do I draw close to God? How do I get close to God? How do I have that closeness with God? I'm not going to give you a one, two, three, um, you know, do this, this, and this, and you'll, you'll come closer to God. I'm not going to give you this formula because, uh, man, just so often they just don't work. What I'm going to tell you is what James says right in here. It's one of the most simple passages of Scripture, but he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. It's quite simple. Uh, it, Jesus even says it like this. Uh, Those who seek me will find me. Simple. You know, he gives us, he, he even goes as far as to give us a parable to, to explain this. In the book of, uh, well, it's found in Matthew and in Luke, but the parable of the prodigal son. Where the son goes off and lives a wild life and kind of messes up his life and all of that. And many of you probably know the story. But he kind of just makes a mess of his life. And he's convicted somewhere in there. There's a, he hits rock bottom and there's a turning point and he decides, I'm gonna, enough with this. I'm done with this. And he wants to come back to his father. And the Bible says that still while his son was a long way off, the father saw him. And the father didn't just sit back and just cross his arms like, 
Here comes my punk kid who left me and left me high and dry, took all my money, and has just been running amok and living a wild life, and he's coming back now. It's about time he comes back. I'm going to put him to work right when he gets home. He doesn't say that. He He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't even say, well, I'm just going to sit here and, all right, come on, come on, come on, let's speed this thing up. Come on, come on. He doesn't do that. The Bible says that he runs to his son that he meets him, and there's a lot of um, cultural things here. I mean, it was a shameful thing to run. That's something that you didn't even do um, as a grown man, but he, he doesn't care. He runs to his son, embraces him, says this son was lost and is now found. He puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, a robe on him, throws him a party, thinks it's just the greatest thing that has ever happened. When we come near to God, it, it takes us initiating it, But the Bible says that he will come near to us. When we seek him, that we will find him. That when we just begin coming to God, that he will run to us and wrap his arms around us. That's the coolest thing that I I see in all of scripture about the character of God. The question for us today is, are you a Christian where you believe in God and 94% of Americans believe in God? Or are you... A Christ follower, just like that video that we saw at the beginning. Are you really a Christ follower? Are you really every day seeking the face of God by your character, your connection with God, and your closeness with God? Would you bow your heads and pray with me tonight?